morning. Thankful for any that are visiting with us this morning. We have some that are out of town, some that are sick, so we're glad that you are here. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and pull up the title for this lesson this morning. You, me, and Thomas. And we'll talk about what that means as we go along here. And I want to pull up this introduction slide. Doubting Thomas is as he is sometimes referred to based upon what takes place in John the 20th chapter. But the question I want to ask, does Thomas really deserve that title that he has been labeled with for all these years? Three points. Is Thomas the only one who doubts in this context here? And then second point is comparing Thomas with the others in that context. And then finally, Jesus and Thomas. And I'm just going to go ahead and advance that to that first point. But as we get into this, and Gerald, you mentioned something about a theme in your songs here. Well, yeah, I think we kind of picked up on that. Uh, And so I think you'll pick up on that theme in this lesson also. So I want to say before we take a look at John, the 20th chapter, over in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, I'm going to read to you verses 2 and 3, and then I'll skip down, Um, or actually through verse 6, beginning at verse 3. I think I got that wrong. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith also is empty. This was written probably 20 years, maybe 25, after Christ had been raised from the dead. And Paul says Christ was dead, he was buried, he was resurrected. Peter saw him, the twelve saw him. At one time, there were 500 that saw him. 25 years later, he's saying some of them are still alive. So go check it out. That's what he's inviting them to do. He says because of Christ is not risen then there is no resurrection from the dead. And our faith is empty. In other words, if that didn't happen, close the book, turn off the lights, we can go home now. (laughs) But he was raised. And that's the reason why we're here today. Our text, John the 20th chapter, it's the first day of the week. And we'll take a notice of that in just a moment. But as you look at John chapter 20 and about verse 19 is one of the verses we'll look at there. It is the first day of the week. Jesus was raised early in the morning. But now, verse 19, it's evening. And those who were closest to him, they are back in town and they are behind closed doors and the door is locked. And then suddenly... Jesus stands in their midst and he greets them and he says, 
Peace be with you. And then he shows him his hands. And he shows them his side. And verse 20 says that they were glad. Some translations say they were rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But on that particular occasion, one of them is missing. And the one that's missing, it's Thomas. So this week I asked someone, I said, whenever you hear the name Thomas, what immediately comes to mind? And the response was, well, that's Doubting Thomas. And that's kind of that moniker, that label that has been hung on him for all these years. And I oftentimes read this and I think about, I wonder what Thomas would think if if he heard people calling him Doubting Thomas. And is it really fair that he's called Doubting Thomas. After this, within the next couple of days, if you look at verse 25 of John chapter 20, the disciples that were there on that particular occasion and they saw Jesus, they now encounter Thomas and they tell him that the Lord is risen. And that's when Thomas responds and he says, unless I see his hands, And unless I see his side, and unless I can touch him, I won't believe. And so that's where we get the idea that he's doubting Thomas. But once again, I ask you, do you think that's really fair? What if somebody took just one occasion from your life, gave you a label... And then for the rest of your life, you were called by that label because of that one particular incident. What if you missed church one Sunday and they said, oh yeah, that's old so-and-so. They're not very faithful. (laughs) And you said, wait a minute. I missed one Sunday and now for the rest of my life, I've got this type. And we'd say, is that fair? And yet we read this one verse and then we say, well, that's, that's doubting Thomas. And so I would think, what's Thomas? Think about that. I'm going to pick up with verse 26 and read down through verse 28. John chapter 20 at verse... uh, Let me get in the right book. John chapter 6. John chapter 20, starting at verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, And stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your fingers here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. First day of the week. Jesus is raised from the dead. That evening, the disciples are behind locked doors. Jesus appears to them and they rejoice. But Thomas is not there. And so now it's eight days later. And they're all together again. 
And they're behind the shut doors again. And this time Jesus appears and He says to them, once again, peace be with you. I want you to think about that for just a moment. One week earlier, Thomas is not there. Jesus appears to the disciples. They rejoice about what has taken place. They have now seen the Lord. They have with their own eyes. A couple of days later, we don't know exactly how long, but verse 25, they encounter Thomas and they all tell him, we've seen the Lord. And so Thomas responds and he says, unless I seem, I'm not believing. So I want to ask you a question. Was Thomas saying, I just refuse? Or was Thomas saying, hey guys, right now at this moment, I'm just having a little trouble wrapping my head around that. I just don't know if I believe that. So I want to ask you this question. Spiritually speaking, where was Thomas at that moment in time? Well, at that moment, you'd have to say, I guess he didn't really believe. But now eight days later, Jesus comes again and he says to Thomas, look, put your hand here. And how does Thomas respond? He says, my Lord and my God. Now he believes. Just a few days earlier, I don't believe. Why not? Because I haven't seen it. So what's he saying? I need some more proof. I need some more evidence. Before I can believe that, I need a little more information. You ever been there? Somebody asks you to believe something. And you say, well, I don't know. <laughs> Are you saying... I just refuse to believe? Or are you saying, I need a little more information? So let me tell you what happened not all that long ago. Right here. In this congregation. So I'm talking to this lady. And I'm wanting her to accept my position about something. And so I tell her. And you know what she said? She says to me, I don't know if I believe that. I'm like, you don't believe it? <laughs> and then she followed that up with, you're going to have to show me. And I thought, well, you are from Missouri, right? This is the show me state. I'm not going to tell you who this lady is, but she drives a white Ford truck. You're going to have to show me. Is that a bad thing when somebody says that? I don't think that's a bad thing. 
Now, if they just refuse, I don't care what you show me, I'm not going to believe it, then that's a problem. But if they say, I don't know if I believe that, and you're going to have to show me, what they're saying is, this is where I am right now, spiritually speaking, on my journey, and if you want me to move further along, you've got to show me. You've got to convince me. Because this is where I am. And if you want me here, you've got to help me get there. You know what Peter said over in 1 Peter chapter 2 and about verse 2? He said, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He's talking about those who are babes in Christ. Desire the sincere milk that you can grow spiritually. What Peter is saying is, we start off here and we are fed the word. And then we can grow and develop spiritually. And that can help to get us where God wants us to go. Let me give you another illustration from the book of Acts. We're going to be talking about this before long. There was a eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, that had come to Jerusalem to worship. You know what had taken place just before this? Peter had preached the first gospel sermon, Acts chapter 2. Jesus has already been raised from the dead and the gospel is being preached and this Ethiopian eunuch has come to Jerusalem in order to worship. Philip, the evangelist, is told by the Spirit as he is traveling on this road, go and join yourself to that chariot. That's where that eunuch was. And as he's riding along, he's reading from the Scriptures. And so Philip joins him and comes up alongside of him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And so the Ethiopian responds and he says, how can I unless someone guide me? So you know what Philip did? He hopped up in that chariot and he said, you need to be baptized. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. He hopped up in that chariot and the place from which he was reading was Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. As a lamb is led to the slaughter and he asked Philip, tell me, does the prophet speak of himself or does he speak of someone else? And it says beginning at that point, Philip preached to him Jesus. And as they went along, guess what? They came to some water. And the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, there's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you believe, you may. Can you see that? And they went down into the water and he was baptized. Philip didn't hop up in the chariot and say, you need to be baptized. That's the way you're going to become a Christian. No, he hopped up into that chariot and he started where he was. Did Philip know that's where he wanted to take him? Absolutely. Did the Spirit send Philip because he wanted to take him from where he was 
to where he would be able to obey the gospel and become a Christian? Absolutely. Philip, I want you to go help him to get where he needs to be. He's here, and we want to move him to here. John 20 and verse 25. Thomas says, unless I see, I won't believe. He's saying, that's where I am. Verse 28, Jesus comes because he wants Thomas to be moved. So a couple of thoughts. I want you to notice verse 19 and verse 20. John 28, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You know who this group of guys are? That's the apostles. They have spent three years with Jesus. He has taught them. He has trained them. He has prayed over them. And he wants them to carry his message to the world. Do you know what one of the qualifications... We studied this in Acts chapter 1. Do you remember? Do you want to know what one of the qualifications for being an apostle is? You must have seen the resurrected Christ. Well, guess what just happened? Because earlier this same day, earlier this same day, there was a woman by the name of Mary And she had gone to the tomb early in the morning. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in just a minute. She had eventually seen Jesus. And then she goes and tells them that she's seen Jesus. And after she tells them that she's seen Jesus, where do they go? Let's go back to town and get behind the locked door. (laughs) Why didn't they just say, Mary, you saw him? Good enough. Let's go preach the gospel to all the world. No, they went back and they're behind closed doors. And now Jesus appears and says, and they rejoice. May I ask you this question? When they're behind those locked doors, where are they spiritually? Well, So far, we know he's dead. Mary told us, but we haven't quite wrapped our heads around that yet. So that's where they are. Where does Jesus want them to be? I want you to take the gospel to the world. He's going to help move them to where they need to be. Verse 11 through 13, Acts chapter 20. I mean, John chapter 20. But Mary 
This is earlier in the morning. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Where's Mary? Well, we might say, well, she's at the tomb. (laughs) No, I'm asking you spiritually, where's Mary? And Mary's saying, I'm looking for the Lord. And his body is not here. And so at this point in time, where is she? There's an empty tomb. That's all I know. (laughs) I came here looking, but his body is not here. And they've taken him, and I don't know where they've laid him. Do you know what that's saying? At that point in time, she's stuck right there at that tomb. But then in verse 14 and 15, she turns around and she sees Jesus. She doesn't recognize him at first. She thinks he's the gardener. And so she says to him, Sir, if you have taken him away, then tell me, and I will carry him away. At that point in time, she's just still looking for a body. And she thinks somebody has carried him away. And if you tell me where he is, I'll go get him. Verse 16. Then Jesus says to her, Mary. And she responds and she says, Rabboni. See, Jesus knew Mary was stuck right there. And then he says to her, Do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I want you to go tell my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. You know what Jesus is saying? Mary, you thought the tomb was empty because somebody carried my body away. You know why that tomb is empty, Mary? Not because I was carried out of there. I walked out of there, Mary. But Mary, this is not the end of the story. I'm ascending to the Father. And I want you to go tell my brethren. And you know what they're going to conclude from this ultimately? He's making the journey back to the Father. And if he makes the journey back to the Father, we can make that journey. They're not there yet, but that's where they'll end up. So in verse 18, Mary goes and tells the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And once again, how do they respond? Verse 19, they're behind locked doors. 
So right now they're stuck at that tomb. This is the first day of the week. Just a couple of days earlier. On Thursday evening, before Jesus was crucified on Friday, on Thursday evening, Jesus had been with the apostles. And in John 14, He told them that He was going away. And He says, In my Father's house there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. You know what Jesus was doing in John the 20th chapter? He's now going to prepare that place. And you know what He's doing? He's building a bridge from here to there. From this world to the next world. From this life to the Father. That's the importance of the resurrection. Let me give you this illustration. Portland, Oregon. You can go there and check it out. There's a bridge just on the east side of Portland called the Marquam Bridge. It was built back in the 1960s. Unusual kind of bridge. It's a two-tier kind of bridge. Upper and lower carries tra- uh, traffic across the Willamette River. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this bridge being two-tier, if you're up on the upper deck and you're driving across it and you happen to look down, you can see what some folks refer to as a structural anomaly. Something kind of odd down there that you will see. And what you see down there along this lower deck is there's an off-ramp. But the off-ramp just goes out there just a little ways. It's kind of like a stub. And it just stops. And if you try to take that exit and you ignore the barricade, you're going to end up in the Willamette River. Now the interesting part about all this is that as you're traveling across this bridge and if you look to the east, you can see the Cascade Mountains. And one of the most majestic mountains that I've ever seen is right there, and it's Mount Hood. You have no problem picking out Mount Hood when you look at the Cascade Mountains. It is. The reason why they built that off-ramp back in the mid-60s, they had this intent. They were going to connect that to a highway that would lead to the Cascade Mountains, and you could go up to Mount Hood. But plans changed and they never built it. So they just stopped it right there. So, if you're on that lower level and you start to take that exit, you better stop. And if you're sitting there on that bridge, and if you were to ask someone, I can see the mountains. And that's beautiful over there. And I want to go over there. You know what they'd tell you? They'd tell you, you can't get there from here. 
That's what they tell you. Now back to John 20. Mary, the disciples, and Thomas, they all knew Jesus had been crucified. And they knew he had died. And they knew that he had been laid in that tomb. And for them, that's where it all stopped. That was like the dead end. Because that's the way life had always stopped. At the grave. So now think about Thomas and the others. John chapter 20 in the first part in verse 19. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. That's where they were. Spiritually, that's where they were. Right there. But then, latter part of verse 19, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands with his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Let me ask you. How did Jesus greet them? Did he say to them, I can't believe you guys. After all this time. And here you are behind these doors. And did he start chastising them? Did he start scolding them? No. He said, peace be with you. Jesus knew where they were at that moment. And he also knew where they needed to be. And so he showed him his hands. And he showed him his side. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. What's he saying? I now know you have the information that you need. And I know now you'll come out of this room and you'll carry this message to the world. In verse 24 and verse 25. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. So what's Jesus offered to Thomas? Isn't that exactly the same thing that he offered to the other disciples? And yet we pick out Thomas and we say he's doubting Thomas. Well, did anybody else doubt? <laughs> it sure seems like it doesn't. 
when Jesus showed them and then he showed Thomas his hands. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. One writer put it this way. He wasn't just showing Thomas his hands and his side. He knew Thomas needed that. But that wasn't all that he was showing him. What he was really showing Thomas is how much he loved him. And he knew what Thomas needed. Another writer put it this way. He said, what if you could walk along the roadside with Jesus and talk with him? And what if you felt so comfortable that you reached out and took his hand? And as you're holding that hand, you can feel the nail scars. And you know why they're there? They're there for you. And what does it tell you? It tells you how much he loved you. When Thomas saw it, he said, My Lord and my God. Now I want to give you a little information just quickly as we kind of draw this all together. We oftentimes take this passage from John 20 and we say, oh yeah, that's doubting Thomas because he wanted to see Jesus' hands and see his side. And he said he wouldn't believe. But I want to tell you, Jesus and Thomas, they had some history together. Thomas was one of the apostles. And so earlier on in the Gospel of John, There's an occasion in John the 11th chapter. You remember a man by the name of Lazarus? And how Jesus raises him from the dead? Well, just prior to that, Jesus, John chapter 10, has been in Jerusalem. And the last time he was in Jerusalem, it didn't go so well. In fact, if you read John chapter 10 on two different occasions, they tried to seize him. On one occasion, they were going to stone him. And the apostles were with him. And so they leave that area. And in John chapter 11, they have separated themselves from there. But then at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick. And he knows Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And they send word. And they say Lazarus is sick. And they want Jesus to come. But he doesn't come right away. And at first he tells the disciples, Lazarus sleeps. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. (laughs) And so Jesus finally has to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And he said, we should go to Judea. And they say to him, Rabbi, (laughs) you remember the last time we were in Judea? They wanted to stone you. And in essence, what they're saying is, if they want to kill you, they want to kill us. So we don't know if this is such a good idea to be going back to Judea. I want you to notice verse 16. 
John chapter 11 and verse 16. And then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You know what Thomas is saying? I'd rather die with him than live without him. That was Thomas. Let me tell you something else right quick. John the 14th chapter in verses 1 through 3. This is that final night that Jesus is with them. Verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be there also. Jesus tells him, I'm going to go prepare a place. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. I'm going. You know the way. And you know where I'm going. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Thomas. Lord, we want to go where you're going. We just don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. You know the way. I'm the way. And you can't get to the Father except through me. So in John 20, Jesus told Mary, I'm ascending to the Father and to your Father. See, what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to complete the course now. I've come this far. I've gone to the cross. I've been in the tomb. And now I'm going to complete the way to the Father. In John 19 and verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. That was on a Friday, just a little over 2,000 years ago. And Jesus hung on that cross. And we're told what happened. And there were some that were there and they visually saw what happened. But on another plane, on a spiritual plane, what was happening was Jesus was paying the price for our sins. And we were being redeemed with His blood. It was at an awful cost. So that we could travel that road back to the Father. And if we could have seen at that moment what was actually taking place behind the scenes, I think we would weep. 
Not just for the agony of the cross, but for the glory of the cross. As we see what he did and the price he paid. And just before Jesus breathed his last, he said, it is finished. You know what he was saying? Now, the way is complete. Now the road's open. I'm going to travel this way, and I'm making it possible for you to be able to travel this way. So now back to the Marquand Bridge, and this will be it. One writer put it this way. In order to complete that road from the Marquand Bridge to the Cascade Mountains, you're going to need some steel. You're going to need some concrete. And you're not going to need to smooth that highway out so that people can travel. He went on to say it was sinful men that pounded nails into Jesus' flesh. But Jesus bent those nails into spiritual steel. And as the blood flowed from Jesus' wounds, it was grace that transformed his sacrifice into spiritual concrete paving the way. And as the crowd hurled insults at him, it was Jesus' words of forgiveness that smoothed the way to the Father. And when Jesus breathed his last and bowed his head, his enemies thought, yeah, it's finished. He's done. But what Jesus was saying is, now the way is complete. Now it's finished. So we'll close with John 20 and verse 29. This is the charge that Thomas often gets. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. See, I want to point out right there that some translations put a question mark. I don't think it's a question. What Jesus is saying to him is, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What's Jesus saying to Thomas? You spent three years with me. You're an apostle. One of the requirements for being an apostle is they had to be a witness to the resurrection. <laughs> Thomas, now you've seen me. You've believed. You know what I want you to do? I want you to carry this message to the world. And blessed, happy are those who haven't seen. And yet they believed. That's why we're here this morning. Because we've heard that message. And we can be blessed because the eyewitnesses first carried that testimony to the world. That's how Christianity started. And that's why it's still here today. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. When the Ethiopian eunuch had Jesus preached to him, it says, he went on his way rejoicing. And that's the same thing that applies to us.
extend the invitation to all that are here this morning. If we can help you in any way, make your relationship right with the Lord. The opportunity is yours while together we stand, while we sing.